But John chapter 15 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. And so we've spent the last couple of weeks just looking at Jesus teaching his disciples about um, what, is, what is our interaction with, with different people. So the beginning of, of John 15 was Jesus, uh, what, are, what is our relationship to him, right? And, and it was talking about abiding in him. He is the vine, we are the branches last week was about what, what is our interaction with other believers? How do we interact with each other? And that's where Jesus gives um, this new commandment, right, where he says, I want you to love one another. And so we talked about what does that practically look like, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. How, how do we love one another? And now we're going to finish John 15 by, by Jesus telling us what is, what is going to be our relationship with the world, and by world, what Jesus means is this fallen world. Basically, the, the systems and the structures of people who are in active rebellion against God. So he's not talking about like, what's your interaction with nature and things like that. He's talking about what is our interaction with a, a world system that, that hates God. How do you and I as followers of Jesus interact with them? So what, are, what I want to do is just read our passage We'll read all the way into chapter 16, verse 4, and then really I want to say what are, or what are three reasons the world hates us and three ways that we respond. So this is not a feel-good message. <laughs> Can, surprise, the world hates Christians. And, and so we want to know why, why does the world hate Christians? And then as Christians, how do you and I respond to that kind of hostility? So... John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. The reading of God's word. So before we get into why, why exactly the world hates Christians and, and how you and I should respond to it, we, we need to ask, well, what exactly does persecution look like? 
right? Because Jesus says some pretty startling things that were to expect persecution, but what exactly does persecution look like? Now, oftentimes in the West, you know, when things happen against Christians, for instance, oftentimes we say things like, well, that's not really persecution. I mean, I've been guilty of saying that, right? When uh, in the States, when that couple who owned a bakery said, you know what, we're not going to bake a cake because your values differ from ours and they were persecuted. I know lots of us were like, that's not really persecution. They're not being killed. They're not being beaten up. They're just being bad. Bad things are being said about them, right? We often say that, right? We're not being killed in the street, so it's not really persecution. But we have to understand that persecution is a spectrum, isn't it? I mean, if you went to, to the farthest extreme, it would be death for following Jesus, right? Being killed for following Jesus. But it doesn't just start there, right? How does it lead to that? And you go all the way down to the, the, the beginnings of persecution, which is being made fun of, being slandered in the public square, having your house egged or whatever. That's still persecution. It's just the beginnings of it. And, and, it, and it kind of builds up to where eventually you might be killed for your faith. I remember growing up... Um, in, in high school, everybody knew that I was a pastor's kid, right? All of my friends. And I got ridiculed relentlessly for that, um, that I was the Bible thumper. I was the Jesus freak. You're the preacher's boy. And just like just ribbing and they would just make fun. And uh, I just, in high school, I just made the point that I'm not going to use the language that they use. And so my friends, God bless them, they would take bets. Andrew, we'll give you $20 if you say the F word. We'll give you $50. And I was just waiting. Get up to like 100, 100. I'm just kidding. But they would just make fun. They would make fun of me. And so you go, okay, that still kind of counts as persecution, Right. Because what, what's happening? You are suffering reproach because you follow Jesus. Now, I wasn't being physically beaten, but it affected me. And so what we see in our Western world is that there is this growing hostility towards Christians and Christianity. Um, it's, just kind of, it's just kind of bubbling right now. Like 60 years ago, um, if you were a Christian, there was actually quite a bit of respect for you. You were seen as, wow, okay, you're a good moral person. Like, did you know, like 60 years ago, churches used to just have buses that would drive around and they're like, hey, we're going to take your kids to teach them about Jesus. And the majority of people were like, okay, go, take my children, teach them. Because church and pastors and Christians, they were respected in our culture. It was just kind of like, yeah, they're good moral people. Now, that morphed into, right, over time, well, okay, you're a Christian. Well, you do you. That's fine. But just, just leave me alone, right? Just it, don't let it affect how you interact with people. Don't try and proselytize. Don't tell. Just keep it to yourself. But that's fine. You can do you. And now what we're seeing in Canada and the United States in the West is there is a growing suspicion of Christians, the Christian worldview is seen as, as pretty bigoted. It's pretty racist. It's pretty harmful. That's dangerous, the things that you Christians think. And you're seeing a growing hostility towards the Christian and the biblical worldview. So our passage today is relevant. Um, you and I in the West, we're going to feel more and more hostility 
as time goes on. And so what we want to do this morning is ask why. Why is that the way the world is? So three reasons that the world hates Christians according to Jesus. Number one, the world hates Christians because the world hates Jesus. Um, in three, three different verses, he says this. Verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Verse 20, the servant isn't greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecuted, persecute you. Verse 21, they will do all of these things to you on account of my name. So in three different spots, Jesus says the reason that the world's going to hate you and persecute you and do all these things to you is because they hate me, actually. So what he's saying is it actually has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with, with Jesus. We're hated because we are associated with the one who is supremely hated. And we've already seen this throughout John. Um, you've seen this growing hostility and hatred towards Jesus. Like, th just think of the religious leaders. The religious leaders went from maybe being confused about who Jesus was to to uh, opposing him, to wanting clarity from him, to openly hating him, to what? To plotting his murder, right? Even the crowds, think of all the interactions that Jesus has with the crowds. The crowds go from frustrated, they're confused, they're split over him, and then in, in a few weeks, we're gonna see that the crowds are yelling, crucify him, they want Jesus dead, so Jesus is saying the reason that the world hates my followers is because the world hates me. Now it's interesting, in verse 22, Jesus basically says if he hadn't come and spoken to them, then they would be less guilty. And then in verse 24, he says if I hadn't uh, come and, and performed all these miracles in front of them, they would be less guilty. Now that doesn't mean that, that Jesus is saying, oh, if they had never heard me teach and never seen my miracles, they, they would be sinless. But what Jesus means is the generation that, that saw him physically, they are more accountable because they had the Son of God literally in front of them physically teaching them and performing miracles and they still rejected him. So Jesus is saying they're held more accountable. Right? I'm standing right in front of them teaching them and they've rejected me. It's, it's, it's like when Jesus, if you remember, he often talks about Tyre and Sidon and the Queen of Sheba and Nineveh. Remember, and he says, if I had said those things to them, they would have repented. But you guys, I'm standing right in front of you and you won't even repent. And it's not as if they rejected and hated and persecuted Jesus because he was cruel and, and mean. Verse 25, Jesus says, they hated me without any cause. Right? It wasn't because of some wrong that Jesus was doing, but it was an irrational evil in the heart of people that they saw the Son of God and they hated Him. And so you and I as Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, you bear the name of Jesus. Like the word Christian literally means a little Christ. You are a little Jesus. You're trying to be like your master Jesus. And so Jesus says, listen, if the world responded to me like this, and you are my followers, clearly the world will also hate you. If you and I want to be like Jesus, right, we want to grow more and more into his likeness, Jesus says, if they hate me, they'll hate you. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. So the first reason that the world hates Christians is because the world hates Jesus. Secondly, 
The world hates Christians because the world does not know God. Um, Verse 21, Jesus says, All of these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. He's speaking of God the Father. And then in verse 23, he says, Whoever hates me hates the Father. In, In verse 24, he says, They hate both me and the Father. So we've also seen this throughout John's gospel, haven't we? There's the religious leaders who reject Jesus. And Jesus a few times says, because you reject me, you're proving that you actually don't know God. I mean, John 5, 23, he says, whoever doesn't honor the son doesn't honor the father. In John 8, he says, if God were your father, you would love me. But the reason you don't hear the words of God is because you're not of God. So one of the reasons that the world is hostile towards Christians is because they don't know God. Now, that doesn't mean that God hasn't made himself known. I'm not talking about like, well, we didn't know that there there was a God. I'm talking about willful ignorance to knowing God. Like Romans 1, Paul gives us a bit of a a glimpse of this. He, He says, speaking of humanity, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the fact that the world doesn't know God, it's not as if they're saying, well, we just had no idea It's a willful, we know that there's a God, but I'm going to willfully choose to ignore him and act as if he doesn't exist. And so as Christians, you and I, as we submit to God, his word dictates our lives, and we live in a world that's in rebellion to God, and so they don't know God. It's just just natural that this is going to happen, right? We follow God's word, and we want this to dictate our lives, and we live in a world that does not care what this book says. So naturally, what's going to happen? There's going to be friction and, and disagreements, and so the world doesn't know God, and naturally, they will hate and persecute those who do know him and submit to him and seek to follow him. I find it fascinating that even in in chapter 16, verse 2, Jesus says, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that they're offering service to God. So even for those people who maybe think that they know God, but it's not the God of the Bible, Jesus says there's coming a time when those types of people will kill Christians thinking that they're offering service to their God. I mean, it just brings up the example of Islam, and I'm sure you've seen all of those videos from years ago when when Al-Qaeda and Islamic terrorists were murdering Christians, and what were they saying? This is in the name of Allah. We're killing these infidels in the name of our God. That's exactly what Jesus said they would do. They would kill Christians thinking that, hey, we're doing service to God by doing this. Even think about the man who wrote the majority of our New Testament, Paul. This is who he was before he became a Christian. He killed Christians. He uttered murderous threats. He hauled people to jail. Even he himself says this in Galatians chapter 1. He says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. 
So before Jesus got a hold of Saul and changed his life, he was one of these people who said, I'm going to go and kill all the Christians because I'm so passionate about God. So the world will hate Christians because the world doesn't know God. And lastly, the world will hate Christians because we are not of this world. Verse 19, Jesus says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you're a follower of Jesus, right, and even Jesus talked about this last week, he says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has chosen you out of the kingdom of this world. He's rescued you. Don't get a big head. It has nothing to do with you. He rescued you solely because of his grace, and he put you in his kingdom. And so that means that you have a new way of doing life in this world. You have a different joy, a different purpose, hope, love than the rest of the world. You have certainty and you have objective truth and a standard for for life different from the rest of the world. And Jesus is saying, you're not of this world. You have a different set of standards and truth and, and, and objectives and things like that. Therefore, the world will hate you because of it. Even in 1 Peter 4, Peter says a very similar thing. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Right? Jesus rescued you. You don't live for your passions anymore. You live for his will. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. He means non-believers, the world. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. So Peter says, listen, you've been chosen out of the world. You don't live like that anymore, and the world has this standard of doing things, and they're surprised that you won't join them. They go, why don't you live like we do? And then they malign you. What, you think you're better than us? Um, This is what the early Christians faced. The early Christians in the first century, they wouldn't participate in idol worship. So in in that day and age, if you would go to town to town, you would just see temples and everywhere to Baal and to Asherah and to Zeus and to whoever. They just had so many temples for so many gods. And listen, in that day and age, if the Christians wanted to worship Jesus, fine, you can worship Jesus. You just have to worship everybody else too. And so what was different about Christians is that they refused to worship all the other gods. Do you know the first Christians were actually called atheists? They thought, you Christians are atheists. You don't believe in all the gods, And so then Christians began to be blamed for things. You're not, we have a famine and you Christians aren't praying to the God of rain. It's your fault we have a famine, right? And so they began to be be blamed because they lived differently. The earliest reference to to Christians in pagan literature, so not in the Bible, the the earliest reference about Christians is by a historian named Tacitus and he charged Christians with hatred of the human race. He said, you Christians, you hate the human race. You're what's wrong with the world. Um, uh, Pliny, who was the governor of 
uh, Bithynia wrote a letter to Trojan, the emperor, emperor, saying that the spread of Christianity had caused pagan temples to be deserted and the sale of sacrificial animals dropped significantly. So he said, you're ruining the economy, you Christians. What is wrong with you? So the world, one of the, like the world hates Christians because they hate Jesus, they don't know God, and because we've been, we, we've been chosen out of the world. We live by a different standard. We don't do things the way the world does. And like I said, we're seeing this kind of come to a head in, in the West, and I believe that the, the explosive point that we're going to see this kind of hatred and opposition and persecution is if as Christians we stay committed to living the sexual ethic that is taught in Scripture. That's where we're seeing hostility and persecution come because the world says, you Christians think that marriage is for one man and one woman. You Christians think that there's only two genders. You Christians are bigots. That's where it's going to come to a head. I firmly believe that. If, if we're going to see persecution in Canada, it's because we will not move from the sexual ethic taught in Scripture. And our culture hates that. Um, recently, our, we've been starting to have the conversation with our two girls um, uh, about the differences between boys and girls and kind of the, the beginnings of the sex talk because they were just asking questions. was like, okay, okay, I guess here we go. So as a parent, if you've done that, you're like, heesh. But we got some resources and, and um, we, we kind of sat down and we had this first talk about, hey, what is, how did God make us? Looking at Genesis 1, what are the differences between boys and girls and body parts and, and what does that look like? And I, I, we sat there and as we're talking to them, teaching them what Scripture says that there are two genders, God made male and female, and there's not a hundred thousand other ones, that boys are boys and girls are girls, and that boys cannot be girls and girls cannot be boys, and that is not how God designed us. I remember talking with Molly afterwards and going, man, if anyone in our world was listening in on our conversation, they would go, you guys are breeding bigoted children, teaching them awful, hateful things. That's the way our world thinks. Um, even a few days after that, like literally on Friday this week, um, my son was playing with his trains, and then he stopped, and he must have been listening in our conversations. He said, Daddy, boys cannot be girls, and girls cannot be boys. That is a lie. And I was like, my son's a bigot. But like, I joke, but, but seriously, I had that thought. I, we're going to tell our kids the truth from Scripture, and then they're going to go to school, and we told them, you'll probably hear the opposite of this. Because we belong to the kingdom of Jesus, and the world is in its own kingdom. And I really do think if we're going to stay committed to the sexual ethic that the Bible teaches, we will face persecution. It's inevitable. It's already happening. But here's what's amazing. Friendship with God, right, which Jesus talked about uh, earlier in chapter 15. You're now friends with God. Belonging to him means that you will endure the world's hatred. Even James 4.4 4 says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. He says the opposite. If you want to go and fit in with the world and just follow along with the kingdoms of the world, James says, well, actually then you're not a friend of God. Being a friend of God naturally means you will be an enemy of the world. 
So the world hates Christians because it hates Jesus, it doesn't know God, and because you and I, if you're a Christian, you've been chosen out of the world. You, you live in a different kingdom. Now, so then the question becomes, how do you and I respond then? If hostility is inevitable, right, if we're going to face persecution, and I really do believe that it's, it's ramping up in this part of the world, then how do you and I respond as Christians, how do you prepare for it? How do you go through it? And I think there's three ways based on John 15. The first way is that you expect it. The first way to, to brace for persecution is just expect it. It's inevitable. Right? In, in verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus says, I've said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. Even in chapter 16, verse 4, I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you'll remember that I told them to you. So Jesus says, uh, I mean, some pretty, uh, very serious things to his disciples. And he says, the reason I'm telling this to you is that when they happen, you won't be surprised. You won't go, wait, why are we being persecuted? This came out of nowhere. Jesus says, I told you, remember? I told you that this was going to happen. One of the reasons that Christians freak out when persecution comes or like Jesus says, they fall away and they give in and they turn their backs on Jesus is because they weren't expecting persecution to happen. They go, wait, I thought my life was supposed to be easy and smooth sailing. Why am I being persecuted? Jesus says, I'm telling you so that you don't forget. Remember that this is going to happen. And I've heard things like that, like this would never happen in Canada. So can you just embrace the fact that if you faithfully follow Jesus, until the end, you'll be persecuted. Just embrace it. Expect it to happen. Even First Peter, again, chapter 4, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love that Peter writes, like, the, the Christians, we wouldn't go, wait, why is this happening? He, don't pretend that something strange is happening. Don't be surprised. Just embrace it. Accept it. Um, so we have three children, and when we, uh, Molly, my wife, was pregnant with our first, um, we lived in the lower mainland, and so we were kind of new at this whole pregnancy thing, and so she found a, like a birthing class, which I was so excited to go to. Um, but we went to uh, a birthing class, and they, like, in great detail, this is what's going to happen, and then this, if you have to have a C-section, this is what will happen, and they showed videos, and you're just kind of, like, overload of, like, oh, my goodness. So, on one hand, it was like, why did we do that? But on the other hand, when Molly went into labor, we weren't that surprised. We didn't go, oh, my goodness, you're in pain. Something must be wrong. We said, yeah, this is natural. Of course you're going to be in pain. Of course it's going to last for hours upon hours. Why? Because we knew and we expected that it was going to happen. We didn't freak out. That's kind of like what, what Jesus is saying. He's saying, guys, followers of me, just embrace it and accept it that you will be persecuted. When it happens to you, don't be shocked and surprised. And I mean, he says some pretty harsh things. You're going to be kicked out of the synagogues. They're going to kill you. He doesn't mince words, but he says, but hey, at least you know that it's coming. So you won't fall away. And if you know church history, all 12 apostles besides John were horrifically killed for following Jesus. But they expected it. And they knew what they were signing up for. I'm talking like crucified upside down, beheaded, 
John is banished to the island of Patmos to die in exile, but they expected it. They said, this is what we signed up for. This, if the world hates Jesus, of course it's going to hate us. So yeah, do your worst, world. And if you're going to follow Jesus and you're going to be like him and you're going to live in his kingdom, you will face opposition and hostility. So the first way that you prepare for that is just expect it. Secondly, you handle and prepare for opposition and hostility by having no fear. And I think when you read all of chapter 15, you see the tremendous privilege that followers of Jesus have. I mean, Jesus, what has he said in chapter 15? He says, you abide in me and I'll abide in you. Like, do, you do you understand how amazing that is? Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to abide in you. Jesus multiple times in chapter 15 says, you can ask for whatever you wish and the Father will listen to you. Jesus has said, the Father, God the Father loves you. You can have full, complete joy in, in him Last week we saw it. we have fellow believers sacrificing and laying down our lives for each other. We can be friends of Jesus. Jesus chose us. I mean, on and on and on. All of these privileges that Jesus says, this is what it means to be my disciples. So as we face hostility then, you and I should have no fear if all of what Jesus has said is true. I mean, even in Matthew 10, he says a, a similar thing. He, he promises his disciples they'll be persecuted. But then he says this, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, that's why when you look at Christians throughout church history, they were just unstoppable, especially in the first century including the apostles, they just had no fear of what people would do to them. Like, I love that people would come to Paul, and he writes about this, to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So think about that. People would come to Paul and say, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're going to kill you. And he goes, okay, I get to go be with Jesus. Ah, okay, well, it, it, fine, we're not going to kill you then. Great, I got more time to tell people about Jesus. Like, they were unstoppable because they believed that. What, what's the worst that someone can do? Kill me, and then I get to go be with my Savior. Jesus says, have no fear of people who want to destroy you. Count it an honor to suffer for Jesus. I mean, my, my wife and, and I have talked a little bit about this, the way that the world is going and, and hate speech and different bills that are being passed. We've just talked openly that it might come to a point where we have to pay fines or I might go to jail because what's, what's in God's word is considered hate speech. And we put it online. <laughs> and and that, we might come to that. And, and it's just kind of like, okay, so be it. What is, the, what is the worst that they could do to you? So have no fear, church. I mean, we are on the side of the king of the universe. So have no fear when hostility comes. Third, how do we respond to hostility is that we bear witness. Verse 26, Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he is going to bear witness about me. So the Holy Spirit is going to come, and the Spirit of God is going to bear witness about Jesus. And then he says in verse 27, and you also are going to bear witness about me. So as hostility grows and as persecution mounts, 
how we respond is we just continue to faithfully bear witness to Jesus. The temptation is to kind of hide or um, just not open our mouths or just be kind of nervous about what we share and, you know, make sure that we kind of don't step on, on, on toes. And listen, I'm not saying that we go around being jerks to people. That's, that's just asking for persecution. <laughs> but no, we just faithfully bear witness to who Jesus is. Even in Matthew 10, again, Jesus telling his disciples, it's, sorry, I, that's my typo. It says 11, but it's Matthew 10. It says, when they deliver you over... Speaking about being arrested, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It's not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking to you. So Jesus says, listen, you you disciples, you're going to be dragged away and you're going to be put in front of people and they're going to say, okay, we want to hear an answer, demand, what, what right do you have, who do you think you are? He says, don't be anxious when that happens. The Holy Spirit will bear witness and he'll give you the words to say. I mean, there's a great example in Acts chapter 4, right when the church is kind of, you know, growing and uh, the gospel is going out and Peter and John, they heal a lame beggar and they heal him in the name of Jesus and that causes a whole bunch of problems and the high priests and the Sadducees, they're mad about it because it's just so disruptive. You're not allowed to do that. And so they gather and you can read the whole passage, but they gather all these authorities and they list all these names of the high up people. And basically it's like, these are the leaders of the day. And they gather them all and it says that they plump Peter and John down in the midst of them and they just demand an answer, right? So Jesus, look what he says. He says, don't worry when that happens. I'll give you the words to say. And so here's Peter in Acts 4, the same Peter who chickened out and denied Jesus three times. It says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says the Spirit's going to bear witness, and you are going to bear witness. And Peter is filled with the Spirit, and what happens? He bears witness in the face of hostility. So as hostility and opposition mounts, we just expect it to happen. Right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you go, oh, I can't believe I don't fit in with the world. Why does the world hate me? Just embrace it. Just expect it to happen. And have no fear because you serve the living God the resurrected Savior, the one who conquered sin and death. What, what can man do to you? And then continue to bear witness. Be prepared to give a defense for why you believe what you believe. Lean in and listen to the Spirit as you might be put in situations like, like Peter and John were, where give us an answer for why you believe what you believe. I think one of the things that John 15 is meant to do is it's meant to actually like put iron in our bones and strengthen us. Because this is the reality of, of following Jesus and it's like Jesus is reminding his disciples, remember, I'm abiding in you. Abide, stay connected to me and love one another. 
right? The world hates you. Love each other. Sacrifice for each other. Support each other. And then he says, I'm giving you the bad news so that when it comes, it won't take you by surprise. Just expect it. And have no fear and just continue to bear witness about me. So Jesus, I just thank you um, for your word and the encouragement that it is. Um, Jesus, it's amazing when I read Scripture and the, the things that you said to your disciples, and then as you just continue to read Scripture and world history, it's exactly as you said it would happen. That the world would be hostile towards followers of Jesus, that people would kill Christians thinking that they're doing a, an act of service to God, that um, as people are brought toward uh, or, or put in front of the councils and things, that the Holy Spirit bears witness and they bear witness about you. It's exactly as you said it would happen. And so Jesus, um, the reality is, is that I, I think we see a growing hostility towards those who live by a biblical worldview. Um, I think especially in this part of the world, it's going to boil down to what our sexual ethic is. And as, as Christians, if we just will not bow the knee to gender ideology and, and the sexual perversion of our day, like First Peter says, that people will be surprised that we're not taking part in what is going on in the world. So God, on one hand, I ask that you would strengthen us. I ask that you strengthen me, that, that when push comes to shove, we would just be faithful to you. That we wouldn't feel the pressure to embrace what the world embraces, but that we would expect hostility, that we would have no fear of it, and that through it, all of it, we would continue to bear witness to you. Not so that we can go, yes, look at us and look how faithful we are and look how strong we're being and look how we're rebelling against the world system. No, but that people would go, man, what is so different about these Christians and how they love each other and how they're calm and gentle and yet firm in what they believe and that through it, Jesus, many people would come into your kingdom, that they would have the blinders of this twisted world removed from their eyes and that they would be rescued by you, Jesus. We don't want to live like this because we just, we just want to stick it to the world. We want to live like this so that lost people are saved. So Jesus, use us. God, please use us in whatever way you see fit that we would continue to bear witness faithfully and gently and calmly and that, Holy Spirit, you would do the work that only you can do and that we would see people who are just trapped in darkness, that they would see the light and they would surrender to you, Jesus, and that they would be like those branches that are added to the vine, that they would abide in you. So just do your work in us, Jesus. We, we have nothing to fear of the future because we serve the living God who was raised from the dead. So just strengthen us, Jesus, I pray. And I just pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.